Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of The Heart of the Bookkeeper, a podcast that's all about bookkeepers helping bookkeepers, helping business, and the journey that many of those bookkeepers have been on to get to where they are today. I'm Rob Marshall, and after 25 years of being involved in this truly amazing community and industry, I want to encourage you to join me each episode as we explore the many tears and triumphs, the challenges, failures and successes that have shaped the heart of bookkeepers and many others associated with the bookkeeping industry here in Australia and beyond. Each episode of The Heart of the Bookkeeper is brought to you by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. And whether you are a member of the Institute or not, a bookkeeper in practice or an employed bookkeeper or perhaps just somebody with an ear for listening and saying, what is this all about? This podcast, we believe, is for you. Simply, if there is a passion that burns inside you as a bookkeeper or whatever it is that you may be doing in your life at this moment, we love your heart and we hope that we can share the hearts of others to value add to your experiences and to your journey. In this episode, we're going to hear from a person that really doesn't need a lot of introduction to many of us, a gentleman by the name of Matthew Addison. I'm so excited to be able to bring this episode to you as we unpack a lot about Matthew that you may thought you know, but perhaps are about to have some revelations on. Matthew's going to talk to us about his life in lockdown, growing up in Melbourne, finding his feet in the accounting and bookkeeping industry, the heady days of GST, his dreams of creating an association that would be all about bookkeepers, a TV show that has shaped his life and also his vision for the future. Sit back and listen to a man that has shaped so much of what we do in our industry and I hope that you will enjoy the wonderful, wonderful story of Matthew Addison. I'm super excited to have today's guest with us, a man who uh, probably doesn't need a lot of introduction to many of you, somebody who's very much a very prominent face in the bookkeeping world here in Australia in particular, if not in other parts of the world as well. A huge heart of the bookkeeper. Welcome to Matthew Addison. Welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Good afternoon, Rob, because it's afternoon where I am, and good afternoon, uh, everybody else that's listening, or evening, or morning, or whenever you're listening to this. Good to be here. And that is the beauty of podcasting. Um, there may be somebody struggling to sleep right now and, and is thinking, hey, I'll, I'll have a listen to one of those podcasts, or you might be driving along in your car, or you might be doing a bank reconciliation. Who knows what you're doing right now? That's the beauty of podcasting. To give a bit of context, um, I'm here in um, uh, not-so-locked-down Western Australia. Matthew's in a semi-unlocked um, Victoria now, and um, we're really pleased to see that that's happening. We're in early November of 2020 in a year that um, all those words keep popping up like uh, unprecedented and never seen before. Matthew, maybe uh, you've, you've clearly, and, and the rest of uh, your fellow Victorians have been through uh, well, I don't even know how to term it, uh, quite a tumultuous uh, last four or five months. How has lockdown been for you? And uh, in particular, I know you've got a pretty full house where you are. So uh, how have you survived lockdown so far? Uh, yes, Rob, thanks. So I'm going to pick you up on one point of your introduction when you said uh, some of the listeners might be struggling to get to sleep. And so you bring me on to put them to sleep. Thanks, Rob. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that on. Look, lockdown has been uh, interesting. 
it's a, uh, you know, since we came off the conference route in March, uh, when I got back to Melbourne, I've been in the same room and it's now November. So, well, you know, that that's going on to seven months. Mm. Um the family have also been primarily in lockdown. Um, so I have a wife and five kids, four of whom are home. Um, my second child, the oldest daughter, um, she was actually in Perth working at the time, Rob. So uh, she she was not in lockdown Melbourne, but was in lockdown Perth in the early days. And uh, she's now in Gold Coast, um, her, she had a change of job during that period. So she's avoided lockdown. Uh, the other four kids and my wife and myself um, and our dog have been locked down Melbourne. Um, that includes two who have been severely affected by their work hours. My, my oldest child, Aaron, uh, works at a gym, uh, gym and pool, and uh, his time went through the floor. JobKeeper has kept him afloat. Um, he's also a professional tennis player. And uh, Victoria has not, well, Victoria has only just recently opened up tennis courts again. They wouldn't even allow professional tennis players onto a tennis court uh, mm. if you're in lockdown Melbourne. So he has really suffered from it. Uh, my other uni student has done uni from home. Uh, my two younger kids, one in year 12, uh, Amy, and one in year six, Lily, um, they've been at home for the duration, um, again, only getting back to school in, in recent days. So Amy doing year 12 ha has really struggled with it being online, um, and it's amazing how that lack of social interaction um, has really affected them even though they're supposed to be, you know, head down studying, um, the lack of peer support and peer interaction is big. And my grade six student um, wanting to have a year of being the top of primary school has not mm. had a top of primary school. Mm. So there, there's, you know, doing a lot of homeschooling. It's funny how homeschooling meant that uh, what would have normally taken a full day at school, she's finishing in two or three hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, it, it's been a it's been a tough gig living over the top of each other. Um, having the NBN connected only months before COVID hit, um, I've got to say, was just fortuitous. Um, yeah, you know, we were on a um, Wi-Fi uh, mobile chip um, internet into the house. So the oh. speed was going to have been awful. We then got f eventually got ADSL on, but it was ADSL 1. So if I'd had five people at home all trying to study, do university online, I spend, you know, anywhere between two and six hours a day on video calls. Um mm. It's been tough. I've been in this same room for, you know, seven months now um, with, with normally I'd be a day or two days out in government meetings or interstate. Um, just hasn't been the case. So it's really different. And that lack of person interaction, um, in, in one way I expressed it recently, um, it reminds us of how privileged we really all are. Rob, mm, um, mm. you know, imagine solitary confinement. 
imagine mm. being in uh, some of the places overseas. Um, uh, one of the, the church communities I work with has a, a um, Thai Burma community, uh, the Karen population, who come out of refugee camps. And you don't mm. really have a sense of what that means or what that confinement could mean. I think COVID has given us a little bit of an insight into what so much of the rest of the world actually lives in, you know, being confined or lack of privilege, lack of, yeah, access. Yeah. I think, Matthew, you've just given us an amazing insight into yourself and and what you've been through and and a big shout-out to all the Victorian um, members in the bookkeeping world and in the bookkeeping industry right now because – I don't even think I've probably got my head inside what you've just explained as well as you've just explained it. It, it, The challenges that you guys have faced have been enormous and, you know, our hearts go out now to large parts of Europe who are going into lockdown and we've got some, you know, special friends in in the bookkeeping world, especially in the ICB world in the UK who may be listening in on this podcast and and, um, some of the insights that you've just given there for somebody like, me in Western Australia, where we've just literally had none of that. Um, it's it's quite emotional almost to hear you explain that, um, Matthew. So thanks for sharing that. We really appreciate that. It's something that in time, I think <laughs> your explanation will be captured with a with a sense of wow, how did that how did that happen, and and why did that happen, and and so many lessons to take from it. I guess from an ICB perspective. You know, um, the 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 members who are listening in on this podcast may suddenly come into a bit more of an understanding of of the challenges that you've faced as you've led the ICB, especially through the um, the the compliance issues that we've we've had to confront, JobKeeper and the cash flow boost and a, a number of other government initiatives that have had a huge impact on our bookkeeping world. So the just some insight into the fact that you've done all of that literally from um, the office in your house and thank goodness for the NBN coming in a month or two beforehand because the challenges that you would have had would have been exponential, no doubt. Uh, it would have been very, very interesting. And as I've said, we, we, one of my children has been interstate, which means I've inherited her bedroom. Um, and, you know, if she'd been still at home, I'm not quite sure where I would have worked from. Um, in the first couple of days of being at home, I was out at the uh, the dining table and uh, my wife quickly worked out that that was not a sustainable place for me to be working from. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that was for me or for her, but uh, that... Um, yeah, it, it just clearly wouldn't be sustainable because the house is busy. Um, you know, we have the the six of us living here. Um, two of my kids have got got partners, so they're in and out. Um, you know, it's it's a busy place, so it would have been uh, more sidetracking than ever uh, to have been in a public thoroughfare. Um, I have the privilege, Rob. I stare out a window and I'm looking at green trees. Um, mm. So most of the time that's good until less it's a day like today where it's nice and sunny outside. Um, mm. Yeah, sometimes that makes you want to go for more walks than you, you probably should and I probably should go for more walks rather than sitting at my desk because I'm not sure how you found it when locked down but um, I, I just found the fact that 
it's 10 metres from the kitchen to my desk, I'm doing less work, uh, less walking. I'm, mm. you know, you're just not out and about. Um, at the office, I would get out and go for a walk around the block a couple of times. But, mm. you know, um, home, I, I have certainly done less of that. So, mm. yeah, it's interesting times. Well, I, I don't want to sort of get too far ahead, but I will be, you know, I'm really keen to explore with you. Uh, your views are, are widely regarded in our industry and I'm keen to explore with you some of your views on where to next, but we'll get to that a little bit later because I am extremely keen to to unpack a little bit about you as a person and, and your upbringing in particular. I know you're a, a, a very uh, fiercely private person and we won't uh, we won't push you too hard, but I know certainly within our membership, there's a lot of people who would be very interested to know a little bit about where you've come from and, and where you've landed um, right now. And I've noted that um, one of the things that I, I wasn't aware about you um, and I've known you for quite a while now was that uh, or is that you were born in Melbourne, you've been raised in Melbourne, you continue to live in Melbourne and as far as I'm aware, you have no plans to move anywhere else than Melbourne. So uh, I think that's quite unique in this day and age that you, you, can, you can boast that uh, your town is, is one of the, uh, the great cities of the world. Uh, is that is that the case? Are you you uh, you've, you've never had the uh, the thoughts of uh, you know maybe moving to you know who knows maybe Bunbury or uh, somewhere like that? Born and bred Melbourne, eastern suburbs Melbourne. Uh, my current residence is within uh, about twenty minutes of the residence I were, was born. Uh, not quite born in, but uh, certainly from day zero of onwards uh, for wow. the first. 22, 23 years of my life. So, yeah, I'm within 20 minutes um, and probably wow. 20 minutes of the furthest away from here as well. So, yeah, in terms of residences, um, I'm in house number six. I think I counted up in, in preparation for today. But um, all of those six places that I've lived in uh, within that very eastern suburbs, Melbourne area, um, my family constantly discuss warmer climates, um, constantly <laughs> discuss, um, you know, Queensland or North Brisbane or whatever. Occasionally we, we would discuss Perth. Uh, I'm not quite sure about Bunbury, Rob, um, to, to move down that way, but great part of the country. But, yes, my family are very sporty, um, mm. very much um, have a swimming background. Uh, one of my daughters, my second daughter, um, actually trialled for the Olympic swimming team. Um, wow. So swam at, swam at the nationals and the qualifying events. Um, wow. So, yeah, they're quite outdoory and, as I said, quite gymmy, um, the gym downstairs and, and sport. So, yeah, no. Nah. So warmer climates definitely uh, on the agenda. But having said that, Rob, Look, as, you know, I think for a lot of us, life circumstances just go from step to step to step. Mm. So my life circumstances haven't taken me far from, from where I am. Um, the suburb I live in now, I remember as a kid thinking that was the bush, you know, because it was really you know, outer suburbs and it was um, very tree and very dirt roads. 
well, it's only 20 minutes from where I was living, but um, mm. now it's a little bit more developed. Um, really pleased that the road along the back of our property is not dirt because the, the dust that used to come up from that was horrendous. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So we're talking um, we're talking 1960s, 70s. Uh, the 70s, I, I'm guessing, are your sort of growing up years. Is that right? Uh, so born in 64, Rob. So, yeah, don't date me too much by going back beyond 60s. Um, so clearly 70s was primary school, I, um, late 70s, early 80s was high school and then university, um, which, you know, was a three-year course that might have taken five years. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Before, before you go any further, I, I am, I'm really interested to, to understand a little bit more about um, those first sort of 10, 15 years was – was it uh, an idyllic lifestyle? Was it? Um, I, I note your mum, Phil, and Jill. You've um, you've told me in the past were were almost the perfect parents. Maybe that might be a stretch to say perfect, but certainly uh, you, you've used words with me in the past about your parents like kind and patient and loving and unconditional. Especially your dad. I, I believe your dad was was an exceptional influence in your life. Tell me a little bit about those first growing up years. Uh, so mum and dad and three kids, um, no idea at all how my parents afforded um, to put three kids um, through, uh, two of us through private school for all our high school years. Um, one of us was in private school for, for a couple of years and then went to trade school. I have no idea how they did and coped with, you know, the salaries they were on. Um, I think I always remember that, you know, two years out of uni, I was earning more than my father had after a 40-year career or oh, wow. probably a 50-year career. What did Dad do? So Dad uh, was a PMG, which was became Telstra, um, telecom as it was for a period of time. So um, he was a, a linesman um, and then a yard supervisor and such things in the, the guys that used to maintain all the um, telecommunication lines and things. But he'd been in, yeah, probably 50 different jobs over the year, um, all sorts all sorts of different work. Dad's no longer with us. He has been here for um, a number of years now. Mum lives in the second house, uh, only the first house since um, the, the house we grew up in, and she's only... 10 minutes away from me. Yeah, look, um, as to perfect parents, um, it's an interesting adjective to put in front of them. I, I don't know that any of us can claim to be perfect and I, I wouldn't reflect saying they're perfect. Um, I certainly don't reflect on myself and say we're, I'm perfect, but um, I don't regret my growing up. I certainly feel very privileged for the environment they gave us and the privileges and who I've become because you know, for the first 25 years, 26 years of my life, they, they provided everything. So, um, yeah, in a really good spot. And then I'm guessing along came uh, a lovely young lady called Kerry, who you have now been married to for how long? Uh, we were married in 93. So what's that, 27 years? Mm, yeah, that's that's right. Um, mm. Yep. So that was a few years later. Um, but yeah, 
Uh, I'm born and bred in a, a Christian church environment. Um, mm-hmm. We crossed paths um, for one era of, of late youth. Um, Kerry then ran away again. I'm not sure that I chased her away, but she ran away. I uh, came back a couple of years later into the same environment I was in. Um, and many things led to another and we ended up in a relationship and, and married not so much longer later. And and the wedding day, was there, uh, was it a memorable day or is it, um, you know, you, can, you, can you give me a few details? You know, what was Kerry wearing? Can you recall that? Oh, yeah, pretty well. Um, and that's not just because of the photo album that I haven't looked at for a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, it, it was at our local church. Um, photos were at the, the local Blackburn Lake um, with some spots there. And, yeah, I remember it well. It was a great day. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. We had made decisions in advance that it was going to be a day we enjoyed. We weren't going to listen or react to everybody else's expectations or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a day we enjoyed. Um Kerry's mum had passed away before we actually got together, so her mum wasn't around for for that era, but her um, dad was, and her dad is still with us, um, going on 91 in a few days' time. Um, So really good innings. Um, Yeah, great day. Um, Remember it well. Um, Honeymoon on Lord Howe Island, um, which is... Exactly. We, we flew there exactly one year before um, that plane that went missing on its way to Lorne Howe Island. Oh. Um, and one of the most memorable parts of our uh, honeymoon was probably the flight to, to Lorne Howe Island. When we got in a six-seater little plane, they put us in and then they filled it with cargo. <laughs> so <laughs> the, this... There was no getting to the door for an exit. There was just cargo in the way. So, and it wasn't that I was a cheapskate and it wasn't that I had it. It was just one of the very few flights to Lord Howe Island at the time. So, the uh, thought never went through my head, by the way. But um, look, you know, as soon as you've raised it, uh, I think you've gone all out there, Matthew. I mean, me and my wife and I went to a place called Coral Bay and had four weeks. Uh, sitting around looking at each other in a in about as remote a place you can get. I think Lord Howe Island sounds uh, very romantic, mate. So well done on that job. That's a great spot. The um the it's funny you you booked through a travel agent who was a client of mine at the time, and you take their best recommendations. And the flight over was a joke. We rocked into the accommodation and we said, surely not. At best, I would describe it as suitable for fishermen. Um, <laughs> we think we might have lasted two nights. Um, and I'm not sure whether you know Lord Howe Island, but there's not a lot of accommodation there. But there was one place um, that was really quite nice. We went there for dinner on the first night. We went there for dinner on the second night and we asked them, uh, you wouldn't have a spare room here by any chance, would you? They said, yes, we actually do. So we stayed there for the rest of the fortnight and, yeah, we ditched the fishing village quite quickly because um, <laughs> that wasn't doing it for us. 
It won't help you to know this, but uh, the, the same place, Coral Bay, um, Jackie and I stayed in a room that even the fishermen rejected, I reckon. So uh, <laughs> it was a very similar experience. We had a bed that had a bed spring that stuck up that um, was right in the wrong place. So we had to, um, the only thing we could cover it with was a whole heap of Band-Aids to try and soften <laughs> it if you rolled over. So sounds a very similar, very similar journey we've been on there, Matthew. Um, I'm just digging back a little bit again, and that the the rules of this podcast is we can jump around a bit. There's no uh, there's no rules at all. But uh, was there a moment that you reflect on now where you go, that was the moment that I think I fell in love with accounting and and a further extension to that bookkeeping. You know, was there a re- is there a revelation moment, or was it just a process that sort of unfolded in a different way? Um, no, there wasn't a bolt of lightning or an amazing sign that said, hey, accounting and bookkeeping is your thing. Um, it was the natural progression out of uh, what I was good at at school. Um, so through, through high school, it was clear that legal studies was a bit of my thing. Um, I didn't take law outside of um, uni, but I did take it through year 11 and 12. Uh, accounting, I could do them. Uh, I did quite well in them. Um, and that sort of led to, oh, well, I seem to be able to do this. Let's apply for that at uni. Um, at that stage, my scores only got, uh, my scores got me into La Trobe Uni which in those days only had a Bachelor of Economics, majoring in economics. Uh, but if you chose the right subjects, it would allow you admission into the um, chartered accountants. So I, I went to La Trobe, studied the right subjects. Um, as I said, it was an economics degree. So that meant I had to pass econometrics, which was okay because that was you know, economic maths. But my sticky subject was third-year macroeconomics. So mm. third-year macro took me five exams before I passed it. <laughs> um, I, think, I think some of our members would be struggling to believe this right now, but uh, continue on because I, even I'm reveling in this knowledge. Uh, yeah, so university, I found, was a great time to do everything else. Um, <laughs> Going from a, a private high school where it was pretty intense. Um, you know, they talk about being spoon-fed. There's not much spoon-fed. There's a lot of whipping going on, as in do your work, get the work done, do, do all the background work. So going from that rather intense high school environment and then going to uni where it's, oh, well, do what you do, um, yeah. and into an economics course, which, you know, I think at its peak got to 13 contact hours a week, um, is, is not really pushing. So I ran youth groups during my university time. I, both at the local level, uh, got involved in the, the regional levels and the state levels and the national levels. So that was for the, certainly for the three years of uni um, my involvement in those groups stayed well into my working life. So where did that start? How did I get into bookkeeping and accounting? Um, uni just, I did the tax subjects, I did the accounting subjects, did the right subjects to, to head for chartered. The economic subjects took me a little bit longer than they should have. Then towards the end of my third year of uni, started applying for jobs all over the place. 
Unbeknown to me, I'd written the same letter to three different addresses of an accounting firm that it had all merged and become one. So they got my letter of application three times. Um, <laughs> that got me an interview, got me my job, um, and I stayed there for eight years. Um, so that was my why accounting? Because I could do it. I was inclined right. to do it. I have those administration skills or gifts um, that just progressed, went to work with a firm that was then Bird Cameron um, Accountants. Uh, they became Bird Cameron well-known over in the West, Rob. Uh, yes, Bird Cameron became yep. um, RSM. Uh, I think yep. they still trade under the RSM brand. Correct. Today. I worked there, Melbourne City business um, practice. Uh, as I said, eight years there before starting my own practice in 1993, um, which you may notice was the same year I got married. Um, mm. So started the firm, started my business in March 93 and got married in September 93. Now, I've noted you and I connected up around the late 90s. So somewhere before then, I've noticed that uh, you established a, a friendship with a gentleman by the name of Craig Winkler. Now, the listeners out there that have been around for a while might um, remember that name or may even still know that name to this day. But in context, tell me about tell me about Craig Winkler and, and what that meant and where that took you eventually with where you landed. Uh, so Craig and I grew up in our late teens and through 20s um, in the same uh, church community. We got to know each other through through those years. We um, we actually co-rented a house together um, at a period in time. During that period, he was at uni for a part of that and then left uni and managed to get involved in the software world, uh, started his own business. I was supporting that business in accounting and such things. We kept that connection. He developed uh, from his initial pieces of software through into what became MIB, and I was supporting um, those businesses um, as their accountant for a significant period of that journey up until they listed. So I was part of their listing environment the first time they listed. When once they were listed, that was out of my realm because that was, you know, big four accounting firms helped them in some of that process and then took over their audit requirements and such things. Yeah, so it was heady days, the 90s for, for software and in particular, obviously, MYAB jumped on the bandwagon and, and, and cornered a, a major market here in Australia and, um, and I shared a, a similar journey to you in that regard. The, the bit that really, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the thing that, that changed everything was the introduction of the GST and certainly the thinking of of businesses across Australia had to come into a major revelation as to where they needed to go with that journey. We, we've been down something you might argue as being similar this year with JobKeeper. Can you draw some comparisons and, and tell me a little bit about those crazy GST days and in particular the where you found yourself in, in that world with MYAB and, and the education piece that went with that? Yeah, I... There's an earlier event, Rob, that I, I think really changed the shape of bookkeeping and accounting in Australia. And, and Franklin Craig walked into the, um, the office one day 
and handed me a three and a quarter inch disc, uh, which had best books written on the front of it. Um, <laughs> and it, it wasn't the five and a half inch floppies. It was the three and a quarter inch hard case disc and said, have a look at this. So I, I plugged it into the laptop, had a bit of a play around. And after a couple of hours, I went back and said, he'll change the face of accounting in Australia. I was dealing, I was still at Bird Cameron at the time. I was dealing with accounting packages, which were $10,000 per unit, $10,000 for the general ledger, $10,000 for accounts payable, $10,000 for accounts receivable. Payroll software was unheard of, you know, and so it was very quickly out of the realms of small to medium business. Craig walked in with his three and quarter inch disc. I had a look and said, well, you'll change the face. How much are you charging? And uh, it was under 500 bucks. And I said, yeah, this is unbelievable. And so it was, that to me was the first sign we saw in Australia of what was relatively low cost. Let me rephrase that. It was acceptable cost to small business to put accounting software into their administration. Because for 10000 bucks, you'd do it manually and you'd pay your accountant to do, you know, code up bank statements and stick it into their mainframe systems and come up with a set of accounts once a year. Whereas with this small business accounting package, it was very acceptable to start systemizing things and mm. what issue invoices that were already in your accounting ledger, you know, it was, and just the development and they got payroll in there very early and that, that change the face. GST came along and I think just capitalised on that. I'd hate to think of GST without the, the $500 accounting packages. Definitely. You know, um, without uh, bank feeds. In those days, uh, Banklink was the main provider of, of bank feeds. Um MYB had already got into the, the phase of importing um, either CSV files or whatever from the banks and gave us that functionality, which led to bank feeds and where we're at today with bank feeds. Um, but GST would have scared, scared us all silly if we hadn't had that um, electronic transactions and, you know, really relatively cheap accounting software. And we may all remember the $200 vouchers, which were yes. uh, existed yes. in GST days, which funnily enough, first accounts was selling for about $199 at the time. It Just was, total coincidence. It <laughs> was a coincidence, I thought. It, yeah. it, look, for the listeners who, who maybe are a bit younger, um, the the government introduced a, a scheme, not too dissimilar to, to some of the uh, incentives that they brought in this year, but it was purely to allow businesses to go out and buy something along the lines of an accounting software program to help them meet the needs of the GST as it was introduced. And and literally, in my sense, in my case, it built my bookkeeping business. It came along just at the perfect time. I owned a computer shop at the time. People were coming in and slapping these. $200 vouchers on the desk saying, we, we've got to buy something. What, what, can, I, what can I buy? And uh, like Matthew's referenced, MYB had positioned themselves very well. It was, it was the building of my um, bookkeeping business, Matthew, but I think it was the, the, the real arrival of MYB at that point to, to, you could kind of say, almost corner a market. Yeah, absolutely. I think they gave prominence to the small business software. Uh, Reckon was a re- uh, 
under the QuickBooks label at that time, um, Reckon existed and was um, also in the, in the space. So it was either QuickBooks, as it was then, the, the Reckon yep. version of QuickBooks and MYB were the two competitors uh, back in, in 2000. GST came along and as you said, Rob, we I was very involved in MYB's rollout of the GST product. Uh, did a lot of consulting to them about how they should do it and how the GST should be coded up and in the program and how they should facilitate what became the business activity statement. I became their technical presenter uh, for their seminar series. I can't remember the stats straight off the top of my head, but I, you know, we did over 45,000 people in training seminars, you know, seminars with rooms of a thousand people in it just there to listen to how to do GST and how to do GST in the software. And I was one of them. I was one of them. I remember lining up in queues in Perth to get in to, to listen to you speak. It was crazy. Uh, I, I think it might have been at the Burswood. I can't remember where it was, but it was it was quite incredible. <laughs> it's the hotel across the road from the Novotel. Um, there's the Novotel the above the, yes. the Irish pub. And, yeah. and is it the Sofitel? That's I think opposite it, yeah. Novotel, or it was at the uh, time. At the time, I think it was the Sofitel. Yeah, conference room right. up, conference room upstairs. We were there for four days, so that was eight sessions. And by the fourth day, there was a queue of fifty to sixty people at the registration desk because they'd heard about the seminars and they wanted to get in. And the uh, event coordinators at the time just said, "We've never seen this." Never seen it. You know, GST was so topical. MYB had come out with a solution and it seemed like we were preaching in a way that would make sense. Um, so the, the people were flocking in. So I remember the Perth venue um, really, really well. I remember some other ones for Sydney. One of the venues was the Wesley Centre. And uh, some of you, I think they've refurbished it, but uh, it had an um, escalator. And as you, you went down the escalator to, to get to the opening door and uh, Sydney Siders at the time had a uh, habit of turning up in the last five or 10 minutes before start time. We had 700 people booked in and they were walking backwards up the steps of the escalator because of the queue. <laughs> we couldn't get them through the door quickly enough. So they had to walk backwards. So he was 50 people on an escalator all stepping backwards. It's amazing they didn't fall over themselves. Um, we just opened the doors and let them in because there was no way we were going to deal with it. We just said, open the doors, let them all in. We'll worry about registrations later. Um, GSD was a strange time, Rob. It was very busy, very active. It was a great time to be involved in. Um, I travelled around the country um, I, I don't know how many times. I remember the Certified Consultants Conference in um, Hobart um, mm -hmm. where uh, Cassandra and I, were, who were doing the presenting at the time, we were given the most recent dynamic update um, at about 11 o'clock the night before, uh, <laughs> before we had to present it the following morning. So that evening disappeared wow. quite easily. Um, wow. Yeah, it was good times. Very, very, very busy. As you say, a lot like JobKeeper, Rob. A lot like JobKeeper. And, and I wonder, I wonder if 
you know, if we hadn't progressed with, you know, as you said, NBN being a, a lot more available in the last year or two, uh, Australia wide, and and certainly, um, you know, given the fact that travel has been completely almost brought to a halt, how would we have unpacked JobKeeper, and especially the way that you've unpacked it, and have had such a an influence? on the bookkeeping and I would suggest also parts of the accounting community around understanding JobKeeper in a way that people were able to deal with, how much difficult would that have been if we hadn't have had Zoom and and all the facilities that we now have when we contrast it to the GST and how that are, how that rolled out, it's it's quite. It's, I think in time history will will judge this year in a whole different light. Would you Would you think so? Rob, the way I had expressed it in the past, which you've just reminded me of, is you know that the implementation of GST was was pretty much three years in the making. I consulted to MIB. MIB paid me to consult to government at the time about GST, how it was designed, how it was to roll out. It was three years in the making. Um, look at single touch payroll. Right. Mm. Single touch payroll came in and again, that's three to four years in the making to get to mm-hmm. the end of stage one, uh, which we're, we're just in the very end of stage one now. Um, look at JobKeeper, 30 days. And we did three years development, three years implementation of a system in effect in 30 days. Um, mm. Amazing. And as you say, how would software have updated you know, 10,000 people or 100,000 people or a million subscribers who use the software if it wasn't cloud-based or internet-based and internet delivery, even internet delivery of an upgrade. Um, How would we have trained uh, the 10,000 attendees at ICB webinars um, during JobKeeper training time if we hadn't had Zoom platforms and didn't have decent internet connections? Uh, we, we, the advancement of technology just enables things and enables some effectiveness. So. It's mind-blowing stuff when you're really trying to try to unpack what has happened this year. I often sit and reflect on, you know, where we sat at conference in Perth earlier this year and and we had a meal together and it was all unfolding right in front of our eyes and what's happened in the last six months is just, or more, is, is just, hard to at times uh, reconcile um, I'm going to ask you in a moment to give your thoughts on on where do you, where you think things are going to go to next but I'm really keen just for a few moments to enlighten the listeners especially the members who are listening in on this podcast as to it was probably about four or five years after GST and and, and that was where I first got to know you that I know that um, you started to investigate and look at what we now know as the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers here in Australia. Do you want to enlighten the listeners a little bit about that journey and and how that unfolded? So again, Rob, I've talked a couple of times about, you know, where I lived was circumstance upon circumstance upon circumstance. I didn't need to move far. Circumstances didn't take me to a different spot. Um, During my upbringing and then my youth leadership and then my other community involvements, um, it was circumstance to circumstance. It was situation led to the next situation led to the next situation. Um, I was good at accounting and legal studies at school, high school. That took me to a uni course. That took me to a job. That took me into to other uses of the skill set that I had. 
working in accounting, uh, working with Craig and the development of small business accounting software, um, very close to MYB through its journey, through its GST time. And that a component of that was working with the partners of MYB at the time. So working with the certified consultants in particular. That led post GST to us going, how do we lift the profile of bookkeepers? Mm-hmm. How do we raise their professionalism? How do we equip them? Together with MYB, I was able to provide solutions, practical solutions. This is how to conduct business. This is how to use, how to use bank feeds. This is how to use reconciliation in the product. This is how to. And so the partners got into this, got into a real habit of, okay, I need to look to how-to solutions. But what we weren't getting was government weren't recognising the partners, especially the bookkeepers or software consultants, highly enough. So we started doing some real thinking uh, with the the people involved at MYB at the time. So the the Wayne Smiths um, was at at MYB at the time before his shift to, to zero and beyond. Wayne and I did some thinking. We talked to some professional associations about a roadmap to take the partners, to take the bookkeeping community uh, for one reason or another. I'm not allowed to talk, call people incompetent fools, am I? No. Um, <laughs> so for, for, for some personalities involved in those discussions, it didn't happen. And at about the same time we were having those conversations and were waiting for these people to respond to us, Craig was doing some stuff internationally. MIB was doing some stuff internationally. They were playing with the UK market. They had a presence in the USA, but in the UK market and the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers and ICB Global are are based in the UK. They started putting their antenna up and saying, hey, does Australia need the ICB? So I had a couple of conversations with uh, Gary and June Carter, um, who are the founders of ICB Global and ICB UK. That sort of just led a journey, again, circumstance to circumstance to circumstance, Rob, where it just developed that here was I and MYB going, partners need a higher profile, they need credibility, they need a professional association to really look after them. And here's ICB global with a presence, a professional association structure, a global presence, and the planets aligned. So 2005, Gary and I were having conversations. Uh, 2006, we launched, um, again, with support of MYB. And very quickly, we had relationships with um, MYB, Reckon, and uh, Zero came on yeah, in the about that era, or slightly before mm. then, so zero as well, um, and have each helped us develop the ICB, helped us develop the bookkeeping community, the professionalism of bookkeepers. Uh, you know that we work with the, the three. Intuit then did its thing with Reckon, and it took the QuickBooks brand back while Reckon continues on. Um, so Intuit in the space as well. ICB has grown from zero, uh, sorry, zero with a Z, has grown from nothing in 2005 to launching in 2006 
to having just shy of 5,000 members as we talk, Rob. So it's been a great journey. It's a great community. So the community of bookkeepers, I think, are thriving. They're feeding off each other. Um, The community is developing really, really well. Um, The community is supportive of each other and helping each other. Um, Mm. We all seem to get really annoyed when somebody comes along and tries to disrupt the effectiveness of what we do. Um, And, you know, here we sit as ICB Australia with a team of 20, uh, with a a community of, as I said, just shy of 5,000 members, another 2,500 student members, software partnerships that are in a really good spot um, and developing government relationships uh, that are really, really helping us position bookkeepers as solution providers and as positive benefits for the business community. We're in a good spot and and I like the voice we have. Fascinating insight. Um, even being a long-time member, just, just your recounting of that is, is, is fascinating and a great insight into where we've come from as an organisation. You, you mentioned, you know, 5,000 members or thereabouts plus another 2,000 student members. I, I guess we know where we've come from. The question I've got, and I'm sure many of the listeners have got, is is where are we going and where are we headed to next? And I think all of us are, are desperately hanging on to the thought that there is a post-COVID coming up and... You know, I'm seeing headlines, uh, as you know, I'm an avid reader of the Financial Review and there were headlines last week that screamed death of the nine to five workday. How how are we going to um, deal with life post-pandemic? Will work continue to be remote and how will businesses deal with staff uh, in a remote and changing world, not only from the perspective of them being remote, but different technologies and, and probably just as importantly, how are governments going to deal with with the working week, the working world here in Australia moving forward? They're, they're very big and intense questions, I know. But just in a few minutes, can you sort of give some insights as to where you believe things are about to head in the next 12 months to maybe four or five years down the track? It's been an interesting journey specifically with the Victorian government getting them to appreciate um, business environment and real businesses, not just retail and hospitality, which have been at the the top of their pillar, but getting them to realise what effect a lockdown has had on office environments, what effect a lockdown and closing businesses has had on bookkeepers and accounting practices and um, our ability to help business. Part of that discussion with Victoria has been allow the offices to open at least a little bit, at least under a controlled environment. And then I look at what's happened in New South Wales, and this isn't my stats, but somebody else uh, mentioned it in in a government meeting recently, that New South Wales opened up at City Business District and said, go back to work, in effect. Only 20% of office staff in the CBD have gone back to work. Mm. The rest are still working at home, choosing to work at home. Now, clearly there's a COVID fear factor, so they're not wanting to go into an environment or travel on public transport where that's totally 
not totally uncontrolled, but you know what I mean. It's an uncontrolled. You don't know who you're interacting with. You don't know whether that person next to you's got COVID or carrying COVID and doesn't know it. So what, what, that's a, a preface to go, Rob. I think we're a long way from February 2020. You know, mm. We're not going to return to that environment. Mm. Uh, I think there will be a return to the cities. There will be a return to offices. But I don't think it'll be the quantum of people that were there before. So I'm not sure what it's been like in, in Perth or even downtown Bunbury. Bunbury is probably not a fair <laughs> example, but, you know, Perth City Business District, Brisbane City Business District even, you know, I think it's going to be different. So mm. thank goodness we're remote. Thank goodness we've got internet connectivity. Where do I think it goes for bookkeepers? We have been ready for this. We have been on this journey of using IT the right way, taking our business clients to use business software efficiently, doing more and more digitally. So as such, when COVID hit and we got locked down, it wasn't an absolute brick wall end of road disaster because we could do so much more remotely. I think our digital world, our remote world will continue to be significant. Uh, the voices that go, I just want it back to the way it was. I'm sorry, I don't think it's going back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There will be some environments that you will be able to comfortably go back and attend the workplace and do the work there. But even there, that workplace's interaction with clients and customers is different. I was reading a US report this morning and thank goodness we're not in the US, to be honest, at the moment. But, yes. um, and that's a COVID comment, not a political comment, although politics over there is interesting as well. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the US report talking about small business have moved digital, small business want to be digital, but more than that, the consumers of small business want to interact digitally. And I've got to say, mm -hmm. I, I really struggle to interact with any business or even go to their shop if I haven't first perused their website, if I haven't yep. seen what they do, how they do it and where, where they're positioned. Uh, we live by the internet and by web browsing and searching now. So Rob, where do I see us going? I see bookkeeping continuing to develop. I'm hoping our small business accounting business software will continue to improve. Um, let me ride a hobby horse for a moment. Artificial intelligence is the most undelivered technological advancement of our time. Artificial intelligence really has not disrupted us, I believe, enough mm -hmm. or been delivered. Uh, I think there is a lot more that software could do with the world of artificial intelligence and that would could really disrupt us. Um, we're on the journey, we're just not there yet. I believe the bookkeeping community is advisors to business as helpers to go digital are in a good place to keep helping businesses go digital, improve their business process. So bookkeeping means more than just adding up rows of numbers in a spreadsheet. I nearly said in a ledger book, but we don't have ledger books, <laughs> we have spreadsheets. Um, or using software to add it up for you, bookkeeping is 
How do I use software to generate business? How do I have business-to-business transactions? Um, our world and that word of bookkeeping um, continues to to evolve, not radically, drastically fall off the cliff different, but continues to evolve. And Rob, uh, the professional bookkeeper will be a thing of integrity, of efficiency, of taking businesses to be the most effective they can be. Um, Now, I'm using motherhood statements. I'd like to be really practical. We will help them do the thing they do better and efficiently, and we will do the core of bookkeeping, the core of number crunching so effectively, but we have to use the right software to um, enhance our ability to do that. Have I answered the questions or just sold you a story? You know, you have answered the question in an exceptional way. Uh, I'm reflecting on your journey to getting into accounting and bookkeeping that you recounted earlier. And I suspect at that point, a word that we use in the bookkeeping world a lot, I hear it everywhere when we talk about it at the ICB, is the word passion. I, I suspect that there may not have been that passion there when you first started but man when any of us hear you talk now we cannot be anything other than enraptured by the passion that you speak about the industry that we are all passionate about and and I'm hoping that any of uh, any of our younger bookkeeping audience and perhaps those that are considering you know is bookkeeping a, a realistic option to get into you know, reflect on the the comments that have just been made because they ta- they tell of a story that is so exciting and so many opportunities. And I note in a recent poll here in Australia, Matthew, that um, bookkeeping is still listed in one of the top ten most sought after industries uh, here in this land of ours. So, I think uh, what you've spoken about is futuristic, but it's also opportunity opportunistic, if I can put it that way. I think that uh, anybody listening in on this podcast should be excited about what you've just heard from um, somebody who I've come to know has rarely been wrong. I think uh, he is humble to say that uh, he would give plenty of situations where he would suggest he's been wrong, but uh, uh, you're a humble man, Matthew, and I know having listened to you for the best part of the last 20 years, when you've um, given a bit of a lens on where we've headed, you've rarely been too far off the mark. We're coming to the end of this um, this particular session. I, I reckon I would, I, I'm sure the listeners would uh, love to listen for another hour or so, but uh, I'm on a promise to keep these to a, a certain length of time. I want to finish, Matthew, with um, a game, I guess you could call it, that I've put together called Debits and Credits. Uh, very much in the hitting zone, obviously, for our audience. And I'm going to fire four things at you um, that I just – you can respond with, you know, short answers or long answers. I don't mind. But uh, we've got equal debits and credits, of course. We've got to square the ledger. We've got two debits and two credits. The idea of the debit is to uh, put a a bit of a look at something that maybe isn't so positive, whereas the credit is uh, sitting on the better side of the ledger. So uh, I'm going to fire away. The first debit, the football team that you barrack for. Name it and why. So my father barracked for St Kilda and my best friend barracked for Carlton. 
So uh, my best friend who I met in kindergarten and then we were in the same grade right through primary school as well. Uh, they went to different schools in year eight, but he barracked for Carlton in the years that Carlton was actually winning games. Uh, for those of you on the, the listing, there was an era where Carlton used to when, win football games. Um, when they were on the credit side, folks, but they're yeah. clearly on the debit side now, but continue. Um, so, yes, I swapped from St Kilda to, to Carlton uh, during my primary school years. And we're hopeful that, um, well, some of us West Australians aren't too hopeful, but there's many out there that uh, Carlton will have glory days ahead. And I'm, I, I get a feeling that they're on the right path right now. Right now, I have to keep barracking for Carlton because the rest of my family barrack for Collingwood. And it's just a oh. great, great stirring point to to stay on a different <laughs> side of the, the game. All right, let's switch to the credit side. A little birdie tells me that uh, you are a huge devotee of that iconic show MASH, uh, I believe not only back in the day but still uh, watching reruns uh, even as we speak. Uh, Favourite character and favourite episode? Uh, there's an episode where Colonel Potter um, first appears in MASH as General Steele. Um, this is clearly before he was the second character, but as General Steele, he comes in and um, the lines he uses and the behind-the-scenes outtake um, that surfaced a few years ago, apparently the whole cast were in just stitches because of the way he <laughs> did the role so so well. So, um, yeah, he, he's probably my favourite character. Hawkeye is clearly the, the dominant Alan Elder. Um, the dominant throughout the series and, and at times you would say that he's my favourite character uh, but he's also an interesting character at times. So um, C- Colonel Potter's probably one. We're going with Colonel Potter, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, was a tra- I was a trapper man myself. I was uh, devastated when they killed him off um, but uh, – so we are at um, the, we are at our second debit. We've got to have equal debits and credits. You're very vocal. You don't um, you don't hold back, and and that's what we love about you. Um, I'm going to ask you what annoys you that still exists within our industry. Now I'm I'm going to expand that to financial services, bookkeeping, whatever you want it to be. And what would you do to get rid of it? What what's the thing that's still the flea on your back in our in our industry? Oh, Rob, the list. Um, (laughs) Just one. Just one. Oh, there's two that come to mind. Um, Unnecessary complexity. In recent days, we had a budget, and that budget said, let's do something wonderful for business. We're going to have what we call um, full expensing. So instant asset write-off expanded. Yeah. Right? It used to be 150000 It's now going to be whatever it is, unlimited to businesses under $5 billion turnover um, or whatever the precise nature of that requirement is. But they gave it dates. They gave it specificity. They gave it you have to have it installed ready for use by this date or it's got to be delivered by this date or it's got to – it's – now got three different dates and thresholds applied to this budget announcement. Why didn't they just go, 
anything you've bought or buy, you know, in your next tax return, write it off and take all these parameters off. Instead, we've got all this complexity about whether it qualifies or not. Mm. Um, We seem to get red tape for no reason. Uh, We seem to get regulations sometimes for what was a good idea, but then a well-meaning regulator gets hold of it and complicates it because we've got to put all this policing around it. Um, Mm. So unnecessary complexity is one of my bugbears. Another one of my bugbears, and this is the second half of the first half because you said I'm only allowed to have one, um, (laughs) advisors who don't stay up to date. So I'm hesitant to name the accounting industry, but there are some accountants who seriously, you need to get up to date or don't advise on that piece of law. And again, I I extol that to the the bookkeeping community. If you don't know, don't advise on it. So you need to be competent. You need to do the research. You need to ensure you know what you're talking about before before you actually talk about it and lead a client down potentially what's, what's a bad path. In days gone by, Rob, our JobKeeper webinars that have turned into our Fridays with ICB webinars, uh, we got into the habit of saying, what's your behaviour, bookkeepers? Be rational, be reasonable, be realistic and be professional. Uh, we, we need to be professional. We need to be those other things in the way we go about it. And if you don't know, don't answer go and get some help or get an expert involved. Great, great insights again. And uh, we listed that on the debit side, but there's some some credits there to take out of there that uh, I would be encouraging all to consider. Rightio, last one and then we're done. Um, If you could have one person over for tea, who would it be? Any person, anybody in the world, who would it be? Hmm. You're allowed to say Rob Marshall if you aren't. um, No, he has a a habit of promising chocolate frogs and and things (laughs) that that never get delivered. (laughs) And he has this expectation that everywhere he goes, he will have crab linguine. Uh, (laughs) So um, I'm hesitant to to invite Rob over. Um, No, I'm not going to answer. The, The list has several on it. We might have to hold that one over. So, okay, here's a first here, right here on Heart of the Bookkeeper, the the, the man who is very much the face of of um, bookkeeping here in in Australia has just managed to not square the ledger. So, we're <laughs> we're going to leave on that note. Um, Matthew Addison, it has absolutely been a pleasure to um, unpack not only your life but also uh, some of the insights into the industry that we all work in on a day-to-day basis. I'm sure the the stories that you've told are only a partial indication of where you've been through this industry. On behalf of our community, we're very, very thankful for what you have done and continue to do and I'm sure will continue to do into the future. It's been a pleasure Thank you for joining us here on Heart of the Bookkeeper and um, we uh, we hope that you're going to get some opportunity very soon to one, get some rest and two, get out and about a bit and enjoy that uh, amazing city of yours, Melbourne and, and possibly beyond. So, Rob, 
being one that never gets the last word in, I'd just like to um, say to everybody who, who listens to this at some point in time, uh, we, I believe, as humans, are very privileged. Um, we live, breathe and, and see tomorrow and we are given opportunities. And what I want to say to everybody is you are extremely valuable. You're a valuable person you're a valuable contributor and tomorrow there's somebody else who will benefit from your value. So I encourage you to keep stepping forward, keep delivering your value, keep striving to have input into other people's lives and let's see what the future might look like because I think it will be a great place to be. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Matthew. Well, there it is, folks. What a wonderful, wonderful chance we've had to hear the story of Matthew Addison today. We thank Matthew for uh, the time he's taken to give us the insights that he has shared with us and the journey that he's been on to shape so much of what many of us do this day and every day of the week as bookkeepers. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe and leave a review. If you want to learn more about the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, Make sure you check us out on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and our website, www.icb.org.au. We hope that today's episode was one that really resonated with you and has made you feel less alone and perhaps a little bit more informed. We also hope that this has created some inspiration for you in your journey in this amazing industry or your consideration right now of whether to join the bookkeeping world. Join us in the next episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper as we explore yet another person that has made an impact in what we do every day as bookkeepers, helping bookkeepers, helping business. May you stay safe and we love your heart. See you on the next episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper. Bookkeeper.